too. It's 7 a.m. there. It is. Damn, we're live. It is. Damn. Uh, you're, are you in Toronto? I am in Toronto. Yeah. T- 10 a.m. for you? 10 a.m. Still early. I, I, I'm i in uh, Santa Cruz, California, about as far away as I can be from you, except for Caleb, who's deployed in an undisclosed location even further away. What's up, man? Uh, very, very far away. Paul, I always uh, – he's de- he's deployed, and he's uh, basically I- – I call him – I say he's part of an equity experiment, but thank God he's deployed because then I get him every morning to help me with the show. He can't he can't run away. I don't have to pay him. He's just stuck. Perfect, man. Yeah, yeah. The he's fast. He's the perfect partner. <laughs> uh, all righty. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Vindicate, Kenneth, Bruce, guys, Alan. I, uh, I want to start this morning and I want to show you a clip of uh, Paul, um, a father of t- two. You have two, Paul? I have two. Yes, sir. I want to show you this clip of Paul playing with his daughter. Daddy loves you, my child. You, my love forever. How old is she here, Paul? She's 11. And how, and how old is she now? 11. 11. That's her. Yeah, this was recently, very recently. And, and what are you guys doing? This isn't checkers or... Um... No. Well, as far as... It depends on the perspective, right? Like, I'm being a dad, trying to teach her some coordination skills, really trying to spend some time with her. To her, it's just a game. Um, this is a drill called Sabayan. And uh, it's a drill from the art of Bikini Tersha, which is a Filipino martial art. And it contains within this drill, you know, two common strikes. But when I when I play it with my kids, it's more like patty cake. You know, I don't uh, I don't know. Some of the comments imply that, you know, she uh, she killed you. I guess it's, it's, it's <laughs> you know, or that's uh, did she, Paul? Oh, did uh, she? <laughs> she did, man. Little murderer. Also, uh, yeah, this is this video got almost a million views, and it was just interesting how people interpreted this. I, I didn't even think about it until you said the comments. Did anyone say was there one negative comment? Yes, yeah, there were plenty. Yeah, and uh, the predominant one was that I was giving her a false sense of security. Oh, geez, and that's not how knife fight goes. And I was just like, man, the context I wrote was I was just spending time with my daughter. You know, like we were playing. And this is a thing about the knife world, right? It's it uh, people infuse their interpretation of value into all sorts of things. And this was me spending time with my daughter playing with those awesome AccuStrike knives, and uh, me and you know teaching her a little bit of the Filipino martial art. Uh, those are those of you who are worried that this isn't how a knife fight goes. Also remember that 86% of the cell phones in the United States have watched porn and that's not how relationships go. All right. So let me, yeah. let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me put that, put that. Out. That's not how healthy relationships go. No. I mean, let me, let me tell you that. Um, you also, uh, there's a video um, on your Instagram. Uh, it's an amazing Instagram, by the way, people it's GN underscore Funker tactical. It's one of those accounts um, that you can just get lost on. There's so much fun stuff on there. He has a ton of cool stuff um, showing athleticism, uh, comedy, but also a ton of uh, micro tutorials on things. Like I caught myself, I'm setting my phone up and, and practicing, you know, the triangle footwork. 
Yes. It's like a common theme uh, in your Instagram account. I'm like, I don't have time to practice this shit, but, but I'm, I'm preparing for a podcast, but I stopped and I did, and I'm going to show my sons today, but there's a video in there where you're, you're training with your son. And you basically say that um, he's young. You basically say that he doesn't even know what he's preparing for. Like he doesn't, he doesn't know that this yeah. drill, this is a drill for knife fighting or for warming yeah. up. It's just a patty cake game to him. Yes. And, and I thought that was so cool. Cause that's how I do. My kids um, have been doing jujitsu three to seven days a week for three years. Damn. I never, I never talked to, I let them figure out what it is. Yeah. Yeah. My I kids also them. did jujitsu and that's that 11 year old girl. I mean, she was a provincial champ. Wow. In jujitsu? <laughs> In jujitsu. She was like nine. Wow. Yeah, but she hated it. Hey, that's a that's a crazy scene, by the way. I'll go over to I'm in Santa Cruz, so I'll go over the hill. Yeah, and here's your son. How old's your son? Uh he's 15. Yeah. And he and I have been playing this since he was, you know, maybe 10, nine years old. God, how fun. And it, it, you're building a dance partner for yourself. Yeah. And he's uh he's a he's a little over a year into boxing now. Yeah. I've been building this guy up to be my training partner. Since he was uh, three years old, and, and it's a it's a lot of reps, right? It's slow and patient, and yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, I mean, you guys know this, but all the you know the I don't know the the uninitiated think everything needs to be like a full on pressure test fight and train your train like you fight, fight how you train, and they just spew all of these you know memes. And without really understanding, not that there isn't any truth to train as you fight, fight as you train, slow, smooth, smooth as fast, better to be tried by 12 and carried by six. And all of all of these, you know, one liners that people wish to encompass the totality of their training to without really understanding what they mean. Weird mm-hmm. stuff, man. The knife world is weird, dude. Training yeah, world, martial arts, it's so weird, man. Well, it is weird. I, I I trip on the fact, so I go over the hill to San Jose. I enter my kids in these jiu-jitsu tournaments that they have every few months. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, every you're lucky if you see one blonde-haired person there, which I find fascinating, right? It's it's all uh, people who look like you. It's all Filipinos, Latin American people, <laughs> yeah. Brazilian. It's all those people. And then it's another interesting thing that we're all – we must be weird parents because we're all bringing our kids <laughs> – to do a combat sport on the weekend. And I go, right. and part of me is like, this is so cool. And part of me is like, what's wrong with us? Yeah. There's my, there's my, uh, there's my young or uh, my oldest. He's awesome. he just, he just turned eight. Yeah. And, and, and those are my, uh, and he's uh, training with um, one of his brothers. I, there's, there's twins. That's amazing, man. Jiu-jitsu is so good for kids, bro. It's, it's so good for them. Hey, you know what? Um, way off subject here, but you know one of the byproducts of it are that I never expected What's was that? um, comfortability touching people. Oh, huge! My man. kids are so touchy feely, loving when they see other kids. Huge. They're not afraid of people's bodies. They're not afraid of their bodies. Yeah, they sit close to people. They 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 just understand their bodies so well. And in a in a era where so many people want to um where kids identity is so fucked up and parents are putting so many fucked up things into their heads Mm -hmm. i just love the fact that i don't have to do that i just give them opportunity and they're building their own identity so if i ask my kids who are you they're they're like they give their name and then i say well what's something that you're good at and they're like jujitsu 
You know what I mean? Like they're, they're, they're yeah. just building. They don't have to worry about any of these crazy ideas um, that adults are putting into their head about their idea, uh, their identity. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful, man. And the thing with, the thing with jujitsu that I really found, somebody dropped this into my brain a few years ago, this idea of manufacturing adversity and that children these days don't really get the kind of adversity that people our age had growing up, you know, cause I was in that transition. Like there were no, I grew up in the Philippines until I was nine years old. So I was out in the, out in the streets playing, you know, exploring, finding trouble, figuring out what I can step on and, and, and what will make me fall through and you being chased by animals. And, and a lot of the kids growing up these days don't have that kind of gradual incremental adversity that tests and builds their character. And so jujitsu is one of those ways where you can manufacture adversity to build character. So there's a lot happening in a kid's jujitsu class, a lot happening. But before we leave this subject, and I want to I want to go back to the beginning of your life. But how for parents out there, like I have no I have no combat experience, zero at all. Me too. Me too. And, People think well, I do, man, but I'm not. I'm a I'm straight brother, up civilian. Yeah, but man, you have really you've really immersed yourself in a world, and you are a wealth of knowledge. And I think what you're sharing with the world and what you're doing as a I call it a repeater, man. You just going out there and repeating information, good information you're getting is awesome. But how, do you have any thoughts on how parents can pick a good jujitsu gym or, or good coaches. It's been something I've been focused on a lot. The importance of making sure you find a coach because you're taking your kid there three to five days a week yeah. and your kids are spending time there. And a lot of facilities, like you could take your kids to a gymnastics facility. And if you watch, it's just a glorified babysitter. Right. But that's right. not why I take my kids somewhere. Do you have any, like, you know, I, I do, man, I do. And it's, it's, it's not high level stuff, right? If it if it's if the place is clean, if there are a lot of kids of different ages and sizes, and if they roll, that's really it, you know. Um, parents who are you mean looking, when you say roll sparring sparring in the class? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's that's some people will be like, duh, no. Nah. So some some places are still prohibitive. You know, they're scared. They're scared of the liabilities. So it's it's a jujitsu <laughs> class with no rolling. They exist. Um, but that's pretty much it. You know, observe observe how the kids are during class. And um, and again, I say this as, you know, as a parent, he knows that probably the number one factor is proximity to your home, <laughs> you know. Right, right, right. It's got to right. be close by. Right. Um, it's got to be close by so that, you know, you could be consistent with it. Um, and I'm also saying this as somebody who – not from the perspective of a parent who's like, okay, well, from the age of three, I'm going to get my kids to, to to do a sport so that they can be a professional one day and then that could be their living. You know, it's just for pure development. Just make sure there's there's, there's a handful of kids there enough to challenge them. It'd be nice if they weren't the, the biggest kid there. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I, um, I, I pulled my kids out of a situation where he's the rabbit. Like he's been the rabbit for a year and it's like time to move him. Like he needs kids that he's chasing, not everyone chasing him. I love that analogy. Yeah. Right. Perfect. He can't, he can't be the best kid in the class for, right. for long. Absolutely. Um, born in the Philippines. Yeah, man. Uh, were, are you, were you barefoot kid? The way you said you had to worry about what you stepped on. You, you raised without shoes. <laughs> we were all raised without shoes in the Philippines. No, um, I was actually, I mean, I, I, 
I was raised in a in a pretty big city, but like a lot of people in the Philippines, there was a provincial sort of rural connection where our grandparents might live and the place that we might visit over the weekend. So I had this like crazy childhood where I was like jumping roofs, some tin, some plastic. I've like fallen through wells. I've been attacked by monkeys. I've been in, you know, scuffles. I've been thrown into a boxing match just as a friggin' eight-year-old running wild in the streets of Manila. <clears throat> and then wow. and then in the weekend, you know, we would drive to grandma's house and, it, you know, the, the closest neighbor, you know, was maybe – it wasn't far. It was, it's not like, you know, rural America or anything, but it was proper jungle, you know, like the backyard led into a, a river system, a creek. Um, uh, rice fields were full of awesome things. <clears throat> so, yeah, I had a I had a super fun childhood in that way. And uh, do you have siblings? Yeah, I have three sisters. Are they all in the States, too? Uh, or no, in, or no. in North America? Yeah, yeah, they they're all in they're all in Canada here. And yeah. I apologize for that. Us um, Americans have trouble. We just think we are all of North America. So <laughs> I'll get them used to it, bro. Yeah. Uh, and 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 why did your family go um, to Canada? And, and what was my that? dad was, what was like, that journey like? My dad was ambitious, man. You know, um, he knew how to speak Japanese and French. Uh, well, English is our is our second language in the Philippines, and he was he was just adventurous, and he wanted to, to look for opportunity. So, boom, roulette wheel, Canada, Toronto, let's go. And, and, and what what was your first language? Uh, I was Tagalog and English at the same time. Yeah. So when you got when you showed up in Canada, you spoke English. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have to take like English as a second language classes or anything like that. And so you're a nine-year-old uh, Filipino boy with yeah, three sisters. Are, are yeah. you the oldest? Yeah, I am. Wow. Okay. Yeah. In uh, in traditional stuff, in in that sense, uh, there's a responsibility that comes with that. Um. Yeah. You know, my family. Uh, my my dad is, was always black sheepish. You know. Like he would just be a supremely logical individual. So certain traditions he wouldn't adhere to. Uh, I remember him not wanting to go to church, which is kind of strange. You know, Philippines is like 90% Roman Catholic or something like that. He was just kind of like a, an adventurous, logical, free thinker kind of dude. So, yeah, we had tradition. But, yeah. Also, when we moved to Canada, I, I, I was we had no family here. No family, right? My father uh, passed away when I was 19 years old, so 10 years later. And I was why, why so young? <clears throat> um, I guess it runs in the family, you know, uh, heart issues. He had a stroke. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh shit, I'm the last Rubio. Wow. In this cold place. And so. It was it was very important part of my life where, you know, <clears throat> this is why I'm so resistant to a lot of the Filipino martial arts community where a lot of them are pretty much respect your elders. Whatever they say is right. And this is how you stop a knife. I'm just like, what the wait, hold on. Let's let's examine that because I, I, I had this built into me to question everything 
and not just bow down to, you know, my elder. I made this video in, in, in Filipino martial arts about Filipino martial arts. And the title was, you are not my elder. And it was just like, it was about this. It was just about, uh, we shouldn't readily accept these stories that were being told about these techniques that are supposed to work. Um, and, and that was because of, of the upbringing that I had. So people find it strange. I don't belong in either, you know, sect in Philippine martial arts. Like I'm, I'm not entirely combative. I love the art, history, and culture. But I'm also not like so dogmatic and blind to, yeah, there's a lot of bullshit in this. Let's address them. That being said, you are by no means a hater. Your account is full of tons of respect. Even when you address people who have techniques that you think are flawed, you're respectful. And there's even a video on your YouTube where, yeah. where you go and you apologize. You find a guy who's an expert in the field um, who you had it out with on the Internet and you, um, you make amends. Yeah, that was Craig Douglas from Shivworks. I was so I was blown away when I saw that video. I was like, holy, it gave me hope for all of humanity. I don't even know what the (laughs) dispute I don't I didn't know what the dispute was. But just the way you you came up and you addressed him and you squashed it. uh, I was like, wow. Yeah. Um, A few years back, I had questioned one of the techniques that he was proposing. And it, it kind of got, you know, how social media is people love drama. Yeah, that's the man right there. Craig Douglas. He's a He's actually a really cool dude, but he's a no nonsense guy. And um, I was at that time to him, just another internet troll asking questions. You know, perhaps I shouldn't have been asking the way that I should have been asking them. So uh, a few years down the road, like I, I we were at the same event. And I, I made an active attempt to talk to him and be like, hey, dude. Let's talk about it. I'm a different person. I, w- I want to clear some things up. And then we're buddies now. Um, did he remember the incident? Oh, of the course. Incident? Yeah, because oh, people he blew it way out of proportion, man. Um, in fact, as I was going to that event, there were people messaging him and messaging me like, hey, Kirk Douglas is going to be there. And he said this about oh. you. And people just – they were just kind of like, fight, fight, fight. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I picture a schoolyard. <laughs> yeah, so I got these messages – I'm like, what? Man, people are weird, dude. So as soon as he stepped into the hotel where we're all kind of staying at, I stepped up. I'm like, hey, man. Shook his hand. And I'm like, I think we need to talk. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful video that shows how um, gentlemen should act. It's, yeah, it's, thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Those things are those things are hugely impactful. It's like, um, you, you know, we have this rule in my house. If my wife and I get in a fight in front of the kids... Mm-hmm. If we're dumb enough to do that, then they also need to see us make up. It's our obligation for them to see, hey, this is how a fight starts and this is how it ends. Man, that's awesome. Right? They, yeah, they need that lesson too. They need to. Absolutely. They, they, need, they need to know how relationships yeah. work. So you get there at nine years old and have you, when you get to Canada, have you um, started in, in the uh, Filipino arts? Uh, no. Yeah, martial arts? No. You know how long ago I started doing Filipino martial arts? A thousand years ago from the way it looks on your Instagram. <laughs> no, it's like five, six years. No kidding. Yeah. There's a process to it. I'm smashing dudes in competition. Right. And this is again, a, a, a part of why 
And you're a beautiful mover. The way you move your body is so beautiful. Oh, thanks, man. That's it. Awesome. It looks like you've been doing it forever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 dude, I like the way you think, man. You're like uh, this cosmic observer and appreciator of some things that people might not. I love watching people move. I love watching. Me too, dude. Move. Yeah. Me too. Like that's the thing. It doesn't. It doesn't like lie. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's how, that's, how old that's are you true. now? I'm 42. Okay, so you, you so around 35 is when you started. Yeah, 37, uh, 35, 37. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was initially just documenting stuff. I'm dude. I sit all day. I'm a video editor. I'm a content creator. I'm a cameraman. I'm a director. I'm all those things. Um, and oh man, this is another crazy tangent story about how please, please. Uh, a civilian canadian hippie-ish immigrant all of a sudden runs funker tactical traveling the world with special forces and you know going to oh, africa yeah, you, with chris barrett and friggin- your contacts and your friends are insane the, the people that you're rubbing shoulders with are just insane yeah dude but from bisbing to i saw the dana white photo to yeah. uh What's the um, Max Holloway, and then to all of these guys who are the unknowns in the shadows, uh, endless guys of those who are who are imparting knowledge on the world. Yeah. Oh yeah, Ed, Ed Calderon. We had him on the show. Crazy. Yeah, you know what I think it is, dude. It's like there's there's a lot of fakeness in the tactical community and the martial arts community. There's a lot of, and even in yeah, it's like my ops are blacker than yours, and friggin' oh, were you here? Oh, were you there? And what belt did you have? And how many certificates? You know, certification. I'm just like, dude, I don't care, man. You know, and so th- I find also that a lot of people are trapped within like this image that they've crafted for themselves. You know, you're 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 a big tough Delta. Well, you you can't enjoy Mario Kart. Like you, you can't enjoy a chai latte, <laughs> bro. You, we know the truth, man. And uh, and I just think. People like that in those positions and situations just kind of appreciate somebody seeing them as a fucking human being. First of all, like, hey, what do Mister, you know, badass dude who's like done extraordinary things for humanity? Like, what do you have in common with me? You know, right. do you do you watch Netflix too and like eat too many cookies sometimes? And I, I that's how I think I get to rub shoulders and you know go on all these adventures meaning you disarm them because you're a real person with them you connect on a level that's not just the combative protector world yeah and i i'm not i'm not judgmental at all man for a period in in my life this is my job okay um i would get a phone call and i would have to fly somewhere to talk to a veteran because they're ready to share their story on camera Stuff that they'd not told their wives or their families. Uh, I'd worked for this uh, uh, veteran-owned and operated um, PTSD intervention and awareness uh, campaign. And a part of that was telling these stories. And I was the guy who they flew to meet a stranger. And then in half an hour, both bawling our eyes out. Mm. And then I got to go edit that video and tell that story recreate that story so that other people will be like hey it's yeah that happened to me too and uh yeah 
Um, how I want to I want to get to that in one second. By the way, have you have you read The Longest Kill by Craig Harrison? No, no. I think that's no longer the record. By the way. Oh really? No. Oh oh, you mean it's not the longest kill? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. For what it's worth, that's not even what the book's about. So yeah, that I highly recommend that book. You've probably heard the stories. He uh, he's going to be on the show soon. I read the book. Was super what, cool, man. What an insane <clears throat> story! What an insane, insane. Um, yeah, this yeah. is. This is a brutal, brutal story about PTSD. It is absolutely, and I was, I could, it was one of those audiobooks. I was so sad when it was over, but this is a remarkable book. I think you will love it. Okay. It is audiobook. Uh, Audio, yeah, audiobook is fine. Okay. Yeah. I mean, basically, you know, the abuse, abusive childhood enters the military. Um, while he's in the military, can't get along, goes AWOL, tries to join the French Foreign Legion. After the French Foreign Legion finds out that he's AWOL, they send him back to the UK. Mm-hmm. He, he basically just cleans up dead bodies for four years and he goes into excruciating detail about all the bodies he has to clean up and piece kids into bags. And yeah. then he finally begs to be a sniper. And after two years, he gets to become a sniper. And it is, uh, I, I, I can't even believe, I can't, I can't even believe this is real life. And then he comes back and he's fucked. He's yeah. fucked. He's the, fucked. The most severe. So vulnerable. Um, <laughs> commenting like dudes vaping on the show. Sorry, man. <laughs> is that is that cool? <laughs> do it. Do what you want. Do yeah. what you want. <clears throat> Thanks. Um, hey, we had Hunter McIntyre. I don't know if you know who that is. He's one of the no. fittest men in the world. He's a High Rocks World Champion. It's this. Okay. It's this kind of. Uh, cro- it's like a CrossFit workout that this other company has taken and just made the whole event is around that. Yeah. And I've had him on the show and he's vaping. I'm just like, holy shit. Cool. Yeah, we're we're not. I mean, don't let me into the vapor guy, please. It's it's just my way of calling the nicotine. So, I I, I guess it's semi better than smoking cigarettes or being on that chew stuff, which is awesome. But yeah, it's just nicotine. Nicotine's a powerful drug. Another uh, another fascinating topic on the yes, show. Yes, it is. Yes, it very is. powerful. Yeah. But anyway, I was gonna say like the uh, speaking about that book and what you noted about it one of probably one of the most severe um, cases or instances of, of PTSD that I've documented was from a combat cook. Like, yeah, the, the guy in the fob cooking up the meals. And I'm like, before this video was even released, you had all these people like kind of bagging on the dude, like, Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> you know what it is, man. It's like all the infantry guys are like, what? But then some people kind of they're like, oh, I get it. But he was the dude. As soon as that, you know, um, truck of A and A dudes were going to be offloaded and prepared for their families, like basically casualties. He's the first guy to volunteer to to process, oh, right? Oh. So he was around death and like just the smells and and the things he had to do and and and. You know, he was like that bridge. He saw what, how families reacted to the to the individual, and and how that impacted them. And he had to prepare in in some way to to hand the family back. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's what's A and A stand for? Afghan National Afghan. Army. Yeah. Ooh, sorry, one more time. Afghan National Army. Oh. In in the Air Force, the 
like the chefs or like the cooks, they also have to do mortuary affairs. So they're the ones that are also like processing bodies and stuff too. Yeah. So like, oh, shit. Same, you could have somebody who's making lunch and then they get a casualty come in and they have uh, to process them like that afternoon, essentially. Yeah. It's nuts, man. And I, I this is just one thing that it's just a byproduct of ignorance from people and how quickly they comment online. And we can, we can talk about, you know, a martial arts move all the same. It's just people are generally ignorant of a lot of things that they, uh, uh, you know, want to appear to be experts at. And it's easy because they're behind, they're sitting behind their computer. They're on their phone on a subway and they can just spout off. Yeah, dude. So, so at, at nine years old, you're already um, familiar. You've already learned your body pretty well from just exploring Manila yeah. and, and being a free range kid. It sounds like yeah. <laughs> nice term. I love it. Yeah. And then you come to the United States in, or into Toronto and yeah. uh, do you pick up any sports? What do you do just to keep yourself busy and start moving? Do you, do you do sports? Do you do martial arts? Do you do anything like that? No, um, I, I, I did a year of Muay Thai. I did a year of this thing, which was like a blend of karate and something else. But I've always been outside. I've always played. Um, I've always wrestled with my friends. Um, I just loved controlled fighting like even in high school i wasn't like a punk but i wanted to fight so i made friends with the big guys and the tough guys and then i even organized one thing where we'd go to the ymca lay down mats and just kind of play fight wow I, i was i never i've never really taken any formal class like in the filipino martial arts and the bladed arts i've never taken regularly scheduled classes i've never subscribed to one instructor i was just fortunate to have crafted a career that allowed me to travel and seek out experts and because they know like i'm not going to be you know i go to some you know highly touted grandmaster and we have a chat and we do knife flows and we play it's a very pure interaction because they know i'm not going to be their student that i'm not going to sign up for the three-month trial that leads me into the one-year membership that i'm not a belt chaser so we just have this like very pure exchange of information and that's what and i've done that for over a decade across the field of fighting from you know precision shooting like i was helicoptered up to the rocky mountains with some canadian snipers and i'm just finding all of these really really interesting commonalities across the spectrum of fighting like like a karambit and a you know a sniper rifle like at the two extreme ranges of combat there's things in common what's a karambit oh a karambit is like a curved blade okay with a ring it's like a southeast asian knife thing <clears throat> yeah oh i got one of those from home depot for opening boxes yeah and I cut a hole in, and I cut a hole in my leg. Yeah, it's one of the <laughs> yeah. jackass. Yeah, those are pretty. Again, it's what it I mean the caravan is a, it's it sucks compared to a straight edged, you know, fixed blade, but it's just one of those things that people are mystified about because it, it looks freaking cool. It looks like it, the claws of a tiger. And you, you know, T1000 had a baby. Like jeez. Yeah, uh, right. Nice, like, man. like it's the nail of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, you said you're 42. Yeah. 
So yeah. 31 year 31 years ago you picked up your first video camera. <clears throat> 11 years old. I was 11 years old. Yeah. And Sony and then, 8 Handycam with the with the big cassettes. Uh yes, yeah yeah. Well they yeah. Medium size. They were yeah. thick. They weren't the mini DV. They weren't the mini DV. They yeah, they were the precursor to the mini DV. And then there was high 8 and then there yeah. was Yeah. Yeah. And and whose camera was that? And why did you pick it up? That was my dad's. That was my dad's. I was 11 years old. He brought one home. And as soon as I looked through that viewfinder, I was like, this is what I want to do forever. And it was Oh, just, really? You knew? Oh, I knew, man. I knew. The moment that I was able to uh, preserve a moment in that way and play it back, it's like, this is freaking awesome. This is what I, I, I came do. after you, which is kind of crazy. I had that camera right there. I had I had like three of the like the high oh. eights I got from Circuit City, and then, and then I moved to DVD. But I was I came a little bit after you. I started in yeah probably two thousand, and so you you would you would shoot these movies. And as a young kid, were you frustrated that you couldn't edit them? Did you know right away that that was a missing piece? Um, I I edited in camera. You, you okay, know, you would just kind of like compose the shot, mm-hmm. and then time when you hit record to make a cut right <laughs> make a cut so to speak but in uh that didn't last very long because in high school when i was in high school <clears throat> excuse me my my school had a an av program that shut down when i was in grade 11 so uh, me and my friends stole like the linear editing equipment so we had for the longest time in my house i had like a vhs to vhs editing machine like manually scrubbing videos and yeah i've been editing also for a long time hey isn't it crazy like that a school would shut down their video editing program when you're junior knowing now what the future looked like like they should have doubled down and quadrupled the size of the program instead of shutting it down because now it's like i mean that we're here that that is the job a video editor well the thing is that Equipment was really, really, really expensive back then. I remember, yeah. Right? And so even to just have a, a an editing platform, which is essentially two VHS decks together, was like $70,000, right? So it was – and then at that time when technology was like revving up and things were getting replaced and things were getting smaller – there was a there's a period of time where it's like you bought a studio would buy sixty thousand or you know a hundred thousand dollar cameras and then in three years they're absolute practically obsolete but they yeah. can't afford to replace it right so there right. was this weird time where we were watching high definition standard definition and some really crappy looking stuff with some gorgeous looking stuff it was a very interesting time but yeah yeah the iPhone's better than any camera that we started with it's nuts man yeah. Um, tell, t- so you you actually took the equipment from the high school. Do you remember? Did you sneak in at night? You actually remember doing that? No, I was actually part of like um, it, it had been in this room with like chairs stacked on top of it, and it was only like a handful of of guys who were really into that stuff. Um, and so somebody would take a light from that room, or you know, and then one day my buddy was like, "Do you want to? Do you want this?" I'm like, fuck yeah! So I was in my room. In my room, I wasn't part of like the break-in crew. I wish I was. That sounds really cool, but no. And and then Paul, um, 
when we when we were used to make videos, there was nowhere to show them. So I would I would make the videos. Yeah. Because there was no internet yet and there was no YouTube. And I would take them down to the public access station. I don't know if you guys had that in Canada. And I would give yeah. them the tape and they would tell me what time they were going to air it. And then I would go up and put flyers all around town. Wow. You did that? Yeah. That's so cool, man. To, an- to announce that my show was coming on. And if I got just one viewing, I was like beside myself and I would throw a party at the pizza place and I would put it on That's the TV. Dope, man. I would put it on the TV in the pizza place and, and we would do that. And I did that fuck for years. I did that for three years. That's crazy, man. Were, were yeah. you disappointed you couldn't find an audience for your stuff? Oh or man. Or did you find an audience? There was such a great pleasure in content creation that if I had five people watch it, it was awesome. And 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 then I ended up going to college for broadcasting as well. Um, and so there, it was just from the moment that I was 11, it was just like a gradual growth of audience from just my immediate family to my extended family, to my classmates, to the college. And then right around that time was when YouTube was coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started uploading our content there. It was like, holy crap, bro. Like, see that? Like 45 views. Yeah. 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 Damn, 45 views. I wonder who these people are. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just a really interesting evolution for me. What, what um, do you remember when starting your first, is, is this, is this gunner tactical uh, funker t- uh, tactical? Your first, is that the, your original YouTube station? Uh, no, no, no. I mean, in college we had, it's, it's all down now because like we were using copyrighted material and like, right. But um, no, God, do you remember when that happened, when they swept in and just like, if you everyone was using stolen songs and everything, yeah. <laughs> you you're this kid and you're getting threatened by some big yeah music it, company. It, it's funny, you. man. Like Funker, the Funker Tactical uh, YouTube channel has over a million subscribers, and I I rarely upload there anymore. Kind of got kind of got burnt out in a way um, from the tactical community. You did, yeah. I'm um, just, just, uh, the, 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 there's just a, um, it's a, it's a tough place to be because there's so much criticism. It's just like, all right, I'm going to take a no, break. I'll tell you, man, when I first got into it, everyone's like, oh, it's a tight knit community. Everyone looks out for each other. Uh, it's bullshit. It's not the case. Somebody has the wrong site and he's being attacked by a thousand people. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's, it was, it's also like a very on, on the business side of things. It's it's there's like a thin veil of civility amongst these firearms manufacturers and these accessory manufacturers and especially at the onset of like you know the the YouTubers I used to go to, I last two years were the, the only two years I didn't go to Shot Show for like maybe seven years for, for people who don't know that's a huge show in um las vegas where i don't know thousands of of people in the combat of space show and they hire their favorite navy seal to man the booth and uh and and people walk around and look at the latest and greatest it's like disneyland for gun guys pretty much right um but yeah there was just a lot of i mean the tight-knit community was there the support was there but it was it was also like it was a grind man like I was producing videos for like Smith and Wesson and Barrett and doing pieces on the, the new Glock and friggin' it was just endless. It was a grind. I enjoyed every bit of it, but at, at, 
there was no conversation to be had, man. There was almost no room for logic, no room for debate, no room for skepticism, uh, especially when the guy presenting the thing that you're questioning, you know, has, you know, this storied military background. It was almost, it was a, it was was almost disrespectful for somebody who has no military experience to, to have a question or, and to have a voice. But, you know, there were these beacons of hope, like um, Kawa, Malai, right? Like this dude, uh, too alpha to quit, that dude, or even like Tony Setmanet, uh, who's a SWAT operator. There were just all of these guys, um, you know, Craig Sawyer, guys that I would meet. They're like, bro, you you have the right to question. Like, it doesn't matter what somebody did. The number one foundation is logic and that we welcome uh, healthy civil debate. But it, but everyone says that. Right. Everyone, I was going to say, how do you know if they really mean it? Because I press them on it. I, yeah. I actually am skeptical and I ask, you know, um, one of the biggest things, right? Everybody in this space wants to be the player coach, the teacher student, the white belt mentality. They're always learning. Right. Every Sifu guru, grandmaster, expert will make that claim. <clears throat> I'm still learning, you know, um, part-time instructor, full-time student, like that kind of crap. And then I'd go, okay, when was the last time you took a class from somebody else? And they'd be like, uh. But some people would be like, oh, last month taking, you know, combat submission wrestling with Eric Paulson. And so <clears> – <throat> Yeah, real world tactical. Somebody just made a comment. Tony Setmanet, solid dude, great guy. Um, and yeah, I just couldn't find a voice, and it was it was it was really hurting, hurting that I couldn't ask these questions. So I'm like, I'm gonna go into this martial arts world and, and see what's up. Seems more open minded, right? There's only, you know, if Master Sergeant was like, "This is how you pull a trigger," I'm like, oh, "That's how you pull a trigger." But in martial arts, if somebody says, this is how you throw a kick, there's a bunch of opinions. We can have a discussion. <clears throat> but it's just as close-minded, man. It's just as dogmatic. It's just as my, this is the way I was taught, and this is what my master did. And, and then it becomes comparing, well, you know, your your master didn't really fight. and My master had eight fights. I was like, let's just talk about logic, man. Let's talk about what you're capable of, um, how it's taught. Because <clears throat> not to be, you know, postmodernistic about it but like there is some truth to you know nothing works and everything works right but it's a slippery slope like we don't want to be teaching nonsensical stuff to somebody who wants self-defense solutions which ought to be immediate and you should you should have functional skill sets in a relatively short period of time Um, but yeah it was just as dogmatic and and closed-minded but there was more room for conversation and that's where I sort of crafted my voice. And now hopping back into the tactical community, I can articulate these things and I can be a little bit more, I can present myself as a skeptic despite not having served in law enforcement, nor military, nor even professional security. Just a dude who kind of traveled the world, met with all these people, um, had these conversations, stumbled back home, drunk after like an awesome night of just hanging out with these dudes 
And, you know, I come back and I'm like, I'm questioning this Krav Maga master, you know, claims to be like Israeli special forces, <clears throat> but you know, they're all special forces. Like technically, <laughs> like I've never met a Krav Maga guy that wasn't Israeli special forces. Like they've got a ton of special forces, but you know, but we can go beyond that. We can go beyond their certificates on the wall and just, Hey, let's talk about mechanics and um, possibility versus probability you know, capability versus development. How can you claim that this technique works? And, you know, people still get upset by it. Um, but, but, but you, you've, you've earned your, you've earned your stripes. You took your lickings. You, you, you've established yourself. I, I, I watched a podcast recently where these people own a big um, security firm and you basically did a podcast with them. I can't remember exactly. And it's, it's more like a consulting session. It's these two guys who are yeah. you know experts in their field, but they have you on their podcast and they're super respectful and they're basically asking you questions as if you, they paid you to be their consultant. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you you, you earned your stripes, yeah. Thank you, man. And that 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 happens quite a bit, you know. People are surprised, but then again, man, if you look at my Instagram account. It's, there's like dick jokes and inappropriateness and things that I you know. I love those breaks. I feel like I'm running up. Stuff. The, I love those breaks with the, all the funny <laughs> shit you got in there mixed in there. Yeah, and I show my mistakes, bro, which is something that nobody really does in in the you know subject matter expert field. I show me getting stabbed and get rocked, and like, oh frick, I dropped my knife. Right. This, this yeah, <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah, this one's crazy. <laughs> Um, have you ever had a real job, whatever that means? Yeah, I had one real job one time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually, I was a master control operator for a broadcast satellite company, which meant uh, I got to watch TV and monitor it for quality and make sure that it was up and running. It's super cool job, man. Super cool. There's like 500 TV monitors in front of me and I can punch up stuff here and yeah, uh, yeah, that was and that real job didn't last for very long because and, uh, no, I didn't get to enjoy that for very long because I had a kid right after, and I was like, "Damn, that's good money." And so, and so, you're just you're you're in it's at heart you're you are an artist and an and yeah. you're an entrepreneur and an artist. Yeah, a creator like we all are, and so you um. You're in Canada. You're uh, you you. The video camera comes at eleven. Um, has it been steady ever since? Yeah, it's, all, it's always been okay. And yeah. then you know that you like um, the physicality of of tussling with your friends. You're organizing stuff, and you know the local YMCA to like, hey guys, let's get a room and just just fool around, wrestle, yeah. throw down. And when does it become more? You, you start to see that those two worlds are going to blend. And, and you're actually going to try, do you ever think, Hey, I'm going to try to make a business of this or are you like, it just happens organically. Well, I like tussling and I like video cameras. And so I'm going to start mixing the two together. And then, uh, yeah. How, how did those two merge? And then you think, Oh, I can actually do my two favorite things and, and make money. Um, yeah. You know, I, I worked in TV, I worked in film sets and then well, the catalyst for, for me taking the plunge, I always knew, this is what I wanted to do. And I had to figure out a way to make money. Right. But specifically how, you know, martial arts and tactical got melded with the content creation. That's, uh, that's, that's a cool story. 
Um, yeah, I smashed my ankle in a snowboarding accident when my wife was eight months pregnant. Oh, bad timing. It was really terrible. And it was in the middle of winter. It was bad. Um, but the insurance companies and doctors gave me four months to heal. And then I dedicated everything to do. Like I would wake up and just do an hour of like ankle circles and I would try like Panamanian jungle oils. And anyway, I, I cut that healing time in half. I healed in two months, but I, I, you know, didn't the doctors and the insurance guys, they gave me four months. So in those two months, I literally went out with my camera and I just told stories. I met with strangers. I told these like little mini documentaries. And then that's when it was, it was really like, this is definitely what I want to do. And I'm going to leave this cushy job to just go head first. And then everything kind of just snowballed from there. But was that scary making that leap? Super scary. It was the scariest thing I'd ever done, man. It was, yeah. And it was a, was your, was your, did your wife protest? No. Yeah. She believed in you. She kind of knew how I was and, and that I'm kind of miserable when I'm not doing something that I love and and creating. She knew how happy I was when I was just making videos Mm -hmm. and sharing them. So yeah, that's her. There she is. Pretty awesome. Yeah, so it's just I, I got dude. I was I was telling stories for like you know Xbox Canada and PlayStation. I I was at the Montreal Grand Prix doing videos for the Mercedes Patronas team. I was just like in this consumer electronic you know fashion gaming world, just telling these human stories, right? Like I, when the Splinter Cell came out by Ubisoft, they had me talk to. The motion capture team and the and then um i think it was a background artist team and i just told like these stories short little stories and then when i got kind of pulled into the tactical community i was like holy fuck balls everyone's got a dope story and 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 at that time everyone's like doing backyard gun videos so i kind of applied what I'd learned, and I, I produce. I don't know if you guys know, like FPS Russia. Like, hello, my friends. This is FPS Russia. Oh yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Today we have the AK forty-seven. Like, he's actually like you know the son of a chicken farmer in Georgia. I made you know six or seven of his videos. Like all of these gun dudes. You know, I've I've had some relationship with, in terms of hey, let's craft this, let's craft this friggin'. Um, you know, influencer space, but it was really just content creation space for the tactical community. And, and, and uh, when did you, and, and when did you pick up your, um, wow, 16 million, wow, 7 million subscribers. Holy cow. This dude is huge, man. We did uh, a product into uh, a, a collaboration with that movie Olympus has fallen. You know, it's like he was getting major budgets. Dude. He was one of the first like, OG big budget YouTubers. And and so, um, when when did your YouTube station hit a million subscribers? I think it was two years ago, maybe maybe a year and a half ago. But it, at that time, I, I kind of lost steam, and I really didn't want to do it all. But it had just cascaded. There's still some videos that I created like five years ago that all of a sudden spike in views because somebody discovered it. 
Right. So, yeah. so, so there was a blend of, you really love this thing. Yeah. But, but you also were starting to feel the obligation to feed the beast. Like, yeah. it was, like your YouTube station was a baby. Feed me, feed me. Yeah. Yeah. And also man, managing all of these like alpha males and dude, there's one time I went to shot show with like a team of 40 and it was a, a, a Canadian sniper, a Krav Maga guy from North Carolina, instructor zero from Italy, this martial arts guy from Belgium. And it was just like, everyone was secretly talking, you know, this guy's bullshit. Uh, why will you believe in that stuff? And I was kind of like in the middle. I was just fucking exhausting. Yeah. Just exhausting trying to be like the alpha male whisperer and like trying to appease everybody's insecurities and be like, no dude, you're the man. Don't worry. It's, it's, <laughs> it's funny. You say that I, um, when I worked over at uh, CrossFit Inc, um, I was, it was my first experience being around, you know, I, I was uh, born and raised hyper liberal, hate the police, hate the military. And then I got immersed into the CrossFit world where it was a ton of first responders yep. using that uh, lifestyle methodology mm -hmm. in order to stay prepared. And I quickly realized that I'm not a, I'm not a beta or an alpha. I'm an alpha tamer. Yeah. Like that was, I like the way you said it, alpha whisperer. Like my job yeah. is to navigate. I'm the guy who walks around and feeds the mm -hmm. lions. And for some yeah. reason, I can walk around in here and not and not get eaten. Yeah, it's. But I'm definitely not one of them. Cool. But I'm definitely no. not one of them, bro. It's funny that you mentioned that. Like I'm a I'm a pot smoking. Like I love uh, the healing properties of you know magic mushrooms. Uh, I I was like pure liberal before I went into this like gun well. It was funny because for a while it was like my dirty little secret. Everyone's like, yeah, drinking lib tears, and I'm like, I think I'm still liberal. I'm running one of the biggest gun channels in the world. But then, I mean, they are, they're so misrepresented, man. It's like, it's Yosemite Sam is like every American gun owner. Like, <laughs> you right, know what I mean? right, right. Like, that's what the, you know, the left the, wants you to believe. Yeah. And, and that's what I was fed. Like, I Me thought too. everybody from the South was like, not that smart. And right. every, every soldier and cop were like this way. And I was just like, the world was revealed to me in my and you know in my world travel and in meeting extraordinary human beings who do some fucking really cool sh stuff, man. And you're the Filipino guy that went into the um you know the tall white man world. Yes, yeah. I mean, I went on a safari with like two rich white dudes, and it was a blast. Yeah, I was making fun of them. I'm like, hey, you you know you guys are the endangered species now. Like, you get. <laughs> Single white male, you guys can't say nothing, bro. And I was like, <laughs> I I like that show that you did. Um, your co-host is a black guy, and mm -hmm. you guys are talking about the possibilities of what if uh, Will Smith was white, or what if Chris Rock was white, or what if yeah. one of them was a woman, or what if one of them was uh, uh, transgender, or whatever you know, yeah. whatever those people are that cut their penises off. I, I just love that honesty in the discussion it needs to be had more and yeah. it's said with no spite or hate no. but in unfortunately that's the only place where it is important to to yeah. have someone with the color of their skin this your skin fucking doesn't matter except for your relationship with the sun but in those discussions the fact that it's you and a black guy having it yeah it's like it's unfortunately we need that we this this country needs that so fucking bad from strong black people right now. This is the cool. same reason why we need from obese people to speak up like, hey, they're fucking lying to you. This sucks. Yeah.
<laughs> like, yeah. like we need we need those brave people to stand up and be like, yeah. it's not the way it is. No, I I agree. And 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 this was the context, which I think is really important. Um, it was a gas station assault, and it was a white woman being assaulted by a black male. Right. 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 And so my question was: Is there is there something to be considered with this this fear of appearing to be racist versus the nuances of managing our safety in that kind of environment? Right. Like if I if you know if a black guy was walking behind me and I cross the sidewalk, you know, like that's 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 been the subject of 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 comedic satire. Am I racist? Right. And and how does that play into my my self-defense protocols? Right. And so we just had an honest discussion about it. And some people were like, oh, you have to make this about race. I'm like, no, I just think that it's a factor and we should talk about it. You know, oh, hey, dude, there's tons of there's tons. It's been a topic on this show <clears throat> ad nauseum. My fans probably the, the viewers probably fucking hate it by now. But <laughs> um, uh it's for sure a factor. There's people who don't cross the street when they should because they don't want to be judged for being racist. Yeah. Listen, if you see three boys walking at you, I don't care what color they are, and they have their pants sagging and they're talking loud and they're 17 years old and you can tell yeah. they're a little belligerent, cross the fucking street for God's sake. Yeah. Cross the fucking street. They're just the boys. Stay away from young men. I mean, yeah. As a, as a default. <clears throat> yeah. Um, at the very least, it'll, it'll give you some information once you cross what happens. Right. But yeah. I, I, I was walking down this high, this old highway that I live on and it was in the middle. It was like at six in the morning, sun had just come up and I was walking home and um, there was a, a black guy walking towards me and he crossed the street away from me to the other side. There's, there's no, there's nowhere to stand on that side. There's no sidewalk on either side, but my side at least had the shoulder. He crossed to the danger side. And I'm thinking to myself, and I've heard, you know, my friends who are black tell me the story a million times. Well, that person crossed the street to avoid me. No, you told yourself that story. And it doesn't matter whether that story is true or not. You told yeah. yourself that fucking story. And it's like, who who would you be without that thought? Like, just fucking hit yeah. the reset switch on that. Like, it's 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 not doing any of us a favor. I thought about go crossing the street to his side just to fuck with them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that would have I mean? been awesome. You yeah. know, I, like Byron Rogers is a big black dude. He's one of my homies. Yeah. And same for, you know, Kenny Big B Jr. People you should really look up. But they're like highly intelligent big muscular combative dudes and and they tell me they tell me stuff like they need to go out of their way to disarm people and to appear non-threatening because they know that's the perception that people have of them right right so maybe, the same way a short little guy postures up to try to be tough right because the perception of, of when you watch me walk in the room is that i'm a little old man right and so i thought that was cool but also unfortunate you know really yeah, though that's byron rogers yeah paul let's explore <laughs> that though for a second sure really sure. like um if if, if if you're six four and you're a man yeah life life is not fair and that's one of the things you've been dealt with like hey you're going to have to um if you want people to like you're gonna have you don't have to but one yeah. of the roles you might play is to disarm people yeah and it's just the way it is. Life isn't fair, right? It's I'm not like, saying that's not the way it is. It is the way it is. Absolutely. Right. Life isn't fair. 
Yeah, you know? and I'm staying away from anyone who, yeah. in, in, in if I'm even suspicious, suspicious at all of someone who's six four and, ha- and has an insane body like that dude, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm make, I'm gonna watch to make his. If he starts talking to himself, me and my family are leaving. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, it's true. It's true. It's like, and so right, if he wants right. to, if he looks over and smiles at me and gives me a nod, right? It's it's, it's so easy. We're good. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get it, man. No. Right? There's that piece of, um, especially once you have kids, of um, self-preservation, safety. So, I agree. So, so, you, so you get these, so you get these, um, you, you start getting paid gigs. You start building, obviously, uh, an amazing reputation. And you start feeding the um, YouTube station. And when does your... I don't even know exactly what it is you do, what your discipline is. I mean, obviously it's the Filipino martial arts, but when do you realize if you're already in this space, you have to show some crazy humility to pick up a new skill that you're obviously going to suck at. And yeah. when do you do that? And why do you do that? Uh, like, was, are you around all these tough guys? And you're like, yeah, I want to learn some of their shit. Like if you hung around all Spanish dudes, you'd be like, I'm learning Spanish. <laughs> it was something like that. Like I, but but there was also like it was a buffet, right? Like was I gonna learn pistol craft? Was I gonna learn jujitsu or krav maga? Am I gonna learn precision shooting? What what am I gonna learn? And then I found myself in the Philippines, in my homeland, in this Filipino martial arts um, conference. And the last day of the conference is always full contact stick sparring. What were you doing there? What what capacity were you at the conference? I was documenting it. Okay. Yeah, I was making like tutorial videos for this guy, Jared Wehungi from the, it's called the PTTA, the Pikiti Tertia Tactical Association. Um, and it's funny, he's like the founder of this Pikiti Tertia Tactical Association. Pikiti Tertia is a Filipino martial art, but this dude, his mom is uh, a Caucasian lady from Texas and his dad is Maori from New Zealand. Um, and he lives in Utah and he's a Mormon. yeah yeah. but he's a bad dude this dude right he he actually on a faith-based mission lived in the philippines for two years that's where he picked it up he learned faith-based mission meaning spreading the word of god yeah okay he's um he learned like four philippine dialects like he speaks more filipino languages than me it's crazy yeah but anyway i was there documenting him and i knew that like the last day was full contact stick sparring. This is when the guys who had been training all week and you know uh, were trying to rank up in this system would have to prove themselves. Like they fight, they fight. You have you have to go five fights in a row to get graded in in the higher levels. I was like, I'm gonna try this, man. I I've been this hypothetical warrior, just observing and like learning philosophies and concepts. I want to see if I can hit a dude with a stick. And I, and I did, I ended up fighting um, somebody quite high ranking uh, who had like a world championship under his belt in stick fighting. Right. I freaking hit him. I hit him. Like he destroyed me, bro. Like I was welted up, but I hit, I hit him. I hit him more than once and I hit him good. So I was like, what the was, was this formal? Was it was, was it was a formal combat with like people watching, or you were just like, "Hey, can I can I try yeah, this?" No, with you? It, was, it was it was it's kind of cool, man, because there's like a circle of people around you. You're at the beach, 
you, like there are these palm trees and then these you know, people surrounding two combatants just hit each other with a stick. And so you have your camera gear there? You have your yeah. camera gear there and like you put your camera gear down and you're like, hey, can I try? Yeah. <laughs> you're fucking <nuts. laughs> That's exactly what I did, dude. And it was freaking amazing. And then I, I was like near tears. I'm like, it was so primal. It was the thing that I'd been doing ever since I was a kid. Like I have been picking up sticks and trying to hit my friends with it while my other friends watched. Uh-huh. And and I'm like, I didn't feel any pain during the match. It hurt a whole lot after. Yeah, like this stuff. Yeah, this shit's crazy. I watched some of these clips yeah. like 20 times each. <laughs> yeah, man. And it's just look at that. It's so it's not realistic, right? Like it it I should say it isn't a probable reality that you're gonna have a stick when you're attacked, but the skills that you develop as far as timing and distance management. And just strategy and staying cool uh, under pressure is amazing. So, yeah, I jumped in, got my ass kicked, and I was like, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to find a freaking way to get good fast because I'm like, I'm already old. Some people have been doing this for like 15, 20 years, and I want to smash those guys. So I came up with a process, man. And it worked. Your own process. (laughs) Yeah. You developed your own like kind of curriculum. You're like, hey, this is, I I know – from and all I, the different ways you saw people train your whole life, you're like, yep. okay, I'm going to put these. Yep, I took it from the firearms world. I I took it from every, from from tennis, from basketball. Oh yeah, I saw your tennis in your triangle uh, demo. Yeah, you, like at one point you have a tennis racket for football. It's it's, and I'm just like, oh okay. And then people would like show me all of these, like you got to do this and do this and do that and do that. I'm like I got to do it in that order. Like those were like four things. You're you trying to make me like memorize a 40 count sequence of just four things. How about I just work on those four things in isolation, get good at those four things and then have some footwork to back it up. And then, then I can jump into tactics right away. And that's what people who study bladed arts or, you know, blunt weapons fighting, whether it's, you know, Irish stick fighting. This is a rich culture, by the way, there's like a ton of um edged weapons cultures from the caribbean to obviously europe southeast asia everywhere people learn how to fight with sharp things and blunt things and i found all these commonalities and then i i just kept sparring i kept fighting like put on a mask put on gloves and just kept trying to hit somebody and i because i'm a content creator this is kind of like my big secret right I have footage of my performances, so I know where I sucked. I know how I got hit, and I would just reverse engineer crap from there. I'm like, I'm not going to get hit by that strike in that way anymore, and this is how I'm going to craft the drills to make me better at that. And because I didn't subscribe to all the dogma and the tradition and the, okay, Grandmaster, you're correct. I can't possibly be right about this question that I have. I didn't have any of that holding me down. So it was all like reviewing my footage of me sucking at stick fighting and like these full contact, you know, quote knife fights with like aluminum trainers, I would reverse engineer it. And I didn't have this idea that I couldn't create my own drills. I just created my own drills and I just did them. And then I would fight again. And that's 
how I um, got good fast. When when you go up against, I'm guessing that there's a traditional teaching of this. And when other when they yeah. see you, do they? You know how there's UFC fighters that are just crazy uh, unorthodox. Like you can't yeah. figure, like do, like uh, Dominic Cruz. Like, yeah, he's like a praying mantis. The way he like, yeah, you know, like praying mantis who's like pretending to be a, a leaf or a stick. Yeah. Oh he's like God. doing some shit out there like that, and you yeah. can't figure out what's going on when people see you with your self-developed uh you know pr protocol to get better do they see that in you like they do trained i be look at you and be like what the fuck is going on <laughs> yeah um i'm gonna say humility aside because i'm quite proud of of the journey that i've that i've um, yeah you should be created. dude it's crazy your content's uh, crazy um thank you man um, but yeah, my footwork has been compared to Dominic Cruz, obviously not Dominic Cruz. Like I'm not an elite right. level athlete, but in the same spirit, right. I'm trying to do what he's trying to do, earning these angles and masking my true range. Um, earn angles. And, and, and yeah, yeah, there's a lot of that masking your true range, especially in edge weapons fighting. You can't do it when you, your tools are just your hands. You can, right. Body angling and deceptive footwork lunging but with weapons you can really hide your true range um there's more to unfold i guess is the way i'm thinking of it you have it yeah you, there's more to there's more to like open yeah up. like if i if i if i'm fighting like this for a while and then now i'm in this orientation my my weapons yeah like this if you look at my my lead foot tap ones so i'm conditioning my guy to think and then boom it doesn't land it lunges straight to his face kind of thing stuff like that um so i'm like hey i'm gonna do these silly drills where i'm hopping on one foot and then lunging that kind of crap but yeah people people see this mishmash because I, again uh i'm my base is this art called pikiti tertia which is one of the most like just pure drama and politics and mysticism and all this crap but it's footwork is awesome and it's a very aggressive style of Filipino martial arts is hundreds. So yeah, I draw on all of these experiences from different, you know, masters and subject matter experts and students. And I just take what fits the chassis that I've built. And so when I'm fighting somebody from one system, I'll just present a style that they're unfamiliar with. And at least for that engagement, I can dominate because it's unfamiliar to them. Whereas I kind of know after a few seconds what what he's up to. Um, I, I have a friend who's big into shooting, like really big into shooting. Teaches his own shooting classes, uh, holds shooting competitions, um, yeah. and he says he goes to these competitions. And he's Mexican dude, and it's it's him and five hundred Filipino dudes. Yeah, shooting is a, is big in the Filipino community, man. Why is that? What a, is, is is there a reason for that? What the what the culture is there that that they've taken up? Uh, he, I, mean, I think the best shooter in the United States is a Filipino guy. Yeah, there's a lot of yeah. Um, JJ Rakaza, I think maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I've heard that. My friend referred to him as JJ. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think culturally in the Philippines, it's between, sorry, sorry. Yeah, his name's Dave. Stop, chill. Yeah, Dave Castro. Dave Castro. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess I can cite a few reasons. I know in the Philippines it's become kind of an elitist sport because it's like a dollar a bullet, and if you can afford to do that, it's kind of a status symbol. For sure, fuck, it's a status symbol here. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but 
but also it's guns, man. You know, Filipinos are kind of they're. <laughs> here's another thing that I learned in traveling a lot into the in the American South is like rednecks and Filipinos have a lot in common, bro. We yeah, just, we love the same things, man. <laughs> um, and so shooting is one of them. It's a, it's a force multiplier. So even for a uh, you know a short individual, they can they can compete. It's a, it's a, it's accessibly competitive, just like stick fighting. A lot of people think it's like I can never do that. It's like no, dude, you don't even need cardio for stick fighting if you got good tactics. Um, when you were <laughs> when you were a kid, was was were guns big in the Philippines, or is it something new? This this embracing of um, the Filipinos owning a gun was a big thing. Um, I shot somebody in the face with a real gun before when I was a kid. Wow. Yeah. Shot him in the face. My dad was running for office, and then I found a gun under his seat, and then I just shot it at some trees, and I shot a guy in the face. How, did he live? Yeah, he lived. My dad had to pay a lot of money, though, but yeah, he lived. Holy shit. Yeah. Just <laughs> Holy shit. I just throw that out there. By the way, I shot somebody in the face. Uh, um, <laughs> God, that must have been traumatic for you as a kid. W- was he an aggressor or was it just a complete accident? No, I just shot at some trees, bro. I didn't even know I hit somebody in the face. That, so I, I'm completely detached from any trauma from that. Other than <laughs> that's like a story my family tells. I shot somebody in the face. Wow. Yeah. How far away was he? Like in the forest? I don't. Yeah, I don't. I was, okay. Remember, I was talking about the rural area. I was there. I was in 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 my uh, my grand uh, my grandparents' province, where my dad was. You know trying to run for like a local political office there and he had the flyers and yeah i don't know i don't know uh, uh, kenneth is asking if it's a ricochet <laughs> guys i don't know i'm <laughs> <laughs> asking me about the dude i shot in the face it's not one bullet as- one kill one bullet one kill <laughs> it's not as cool as i would hope it to be jim know? d he's like dick cheney better. <laughs> yeah it's awesome yeah but it was like yeah did- it's cool, cool upbringing, man. How did you get um, red pilled? How did you finally? Uh, what happened that um, you made? You, you obviously yeah. we you we opened up talking about the importance of logic and questioning. Yes, sir. But how did you realize that? Oh shit! I'm my my whole thinking process has been wrong. <clears throat> it was a gradual process of spending oh yeah sorry one quick question did his dad win the election great question sorry chris that's a great question no. <laughs> no, he did not win the election. <laughs> no. hey no, did that did fuck not. up his election like <laughs> oh we're not voting for this dude he's, he's uh, kid i don't shot. know man uh, i don't uh, know maybe his campaign just sucked uh, again it's not as cool a story as i'd like to maybe one day lie about it but um sorry when, when did I get uh, well, well, yeah yeah you said yeah. it was a slow process yeah it was a series of drinking with uh i guess soldiers of different varieties of doing stuff mm-hmm. right and and some politicians and mostly mostly dudes with guns that do stuff for government um it was just a slow revelation of like crap that i would have never known that i don't have access to um you know uh how intelligence is gathered but beyond that where do we choose to 
begin gathering intelligence too. Like, who are those people who make those decisions? What, what were, you know what I mean? Um, and so even these like three letter agencies have um, agendas, un- unwashed laundry that you just never, you just don't, it's crazy, right? So it was, so I was in the Philippines, I was in Poland. Um, you know, it, I just, these guys are everywhere where we have a few drinks and we make sure that there's no cameras rolling. And then I just get to, to kind of get glimpses of the shenanigans happening in the world. And I never, I was never like, I'm going to dig into it now. I'm going to find out where this U S money is going to in the Ukraine. It was just like, no, that's fucked. No, we we're not gonna know. Like we, right. we're not gonna fucking know. And so that just happened constantly. And I was just like, okay, well, fuck it. Um it's too when much you, to care about. When when you start seeing that like um you, I guess you obviously in that space there are some big themes, personal accountability, personal responsibility, right? Like if someone calls me fat, did they really hurt me? Or is that my personal responsibility to right. um it's it's me. I, I holy shit. I can choose whether that hurts my feelings or not. If I if I'm a master of my own mind, and you and you yeah. start really taking it, does it open up any other weird doors for you? Like, you know, every every twentieth guy uh, who who wakes up is like, hmm. I wonder if the Earth is flat. Hmm. I wonder if they really went to the moon. Hmm. Because once you start down this, it's it's not. Uh, once you open your mind, yeah. I think most of the people don't get red pilled or open their mind. There's a great line in the matrix that talks about it. They're just not prepared. They're so fucking scared because because it can quickly run wild in your brain and and all your shit can unravel when really you're just trying to get a job and put food on your table and feed your daughter. Yeah. Well, a lot of people feel like they have to do something about it. I don't, I don't care about anything at all at all. And and this is the thing we're made to care about and this and that we're, we're, we're kind of, groomed to be upset about a gorilla who got killed or a lion right. like in a zoo we've never been to we don't even know if the zoo exists yeah right exactly <laughs> there's so many things that we are fed and are expected to care about for beef like there's so much outrage right now and it's like just wait a week they're not going to be outraged about that thing anymore and so when i say i don't care about anything it's actually you know because i i i I do psychedelics and this is kind of like where the weird hippie stuff comes in. I, you know, I, I, I do believe in some things like the collective, uh, the oneness of it all. Like, mm-hmm. and, and so it's impossible for me to be outraged about, you know, a celebrity who died and then compare that to, you know, 10 Kenyan kindergarten students who got shot to, an accident that happened here to this mine exploding to child workers in China. There's so many things that could cause us to just feel pain, but circumventing that it's like, these are shared experiences, you know, Um, we're all one. And so I just, I just choose not to, I'm not compelled to, display to the world how much I care about the thing that we're supposed to care about. And so that comes across the wrong way. People just think I don't care. It's not that it's just that I'm not going to play this game where 
I'm outraged that Andrew Tate said this and that Kanye said that. I'm just like, I don't find it all interesting. It's just a fucking show. And so, and that and that goes across the board. I don't know what happens in cobalt mines and 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 the space. So program. you still process it all. Uh, yeah, you, it, it seems like you're up to date on everything, but you're. Yeah. You, uh, I guess as Lao Tzu would say, you stay in the center of the circle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you and you and you and you you observe it and watch it. Maybe that's a yeah. Perhaps that's one way to look at it. I I. I Again, this profound idea that we are all one. Yeah. Right? Like my left toe isn't going to care that my right toe hurts. Right. It's not going to be outraged and post something about, you know, injustices to right toes. This is how I see things, man. You know? and Yeah, whole- no. I, I think you're closer to the truth than most. Um that that I always think about this. That caring comes from the fact that you're born, and your parents name you Paul, and then you spend the rest of your life trying to keep this semblance of this character together. Yeah, and and it's and it's just all the whole thing is just a fucking facade of trying to keep this um, avatar together as you move around on the planet. But eventually, it's just turned into dust anyway. Yeah, we can enjoy it. You know, I think people, the psychology of of ownership. I don't know if you read. You seem like a guy who reads. I don't really read a lot, but uh, it's a book. Called- audiobooks. I do audiobooks. I should start getting into that. Anyway, oh, this- you'll love it. You've um, got to listen to at least a little bit. You've got to promise me, listen to a little bit of Longest Kill. The guy speaks in a British accent. It's so enjoyable. It's so okay. enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, to quote Bart Simpson, I can't promise to try, but I'll try to try. <laughs> okay. Awesome. <laughs> did he really say that? Yeah, I did. That's so good. Um uh, what was I going to say? You were going to t- talk about a book. Oh yeah, it's it's a book called Predictably Irrational. It's it's probably one of the books that changed me a lot, and I actually read it, Predictably Irrational, by Dan Ariely, and it's just getting a glimpse into understanding our motivations and why we f- you know, you know feel the way we feel. And there's this whole thing about the psychology of ownership. Yeah, the hidden forces that shape our decisions. Great friggin' book, man. I'm on it. I'm on it. Yeah. But yeah, this whole psychology of ownership that we tend to overvalue things that we invest time in and that we love. So if you do jujitsu, you're going to be like, jujitsu is the shit. It's everything. Right. Um, and, and tying into identity politics, where. Uh, again, let's, let's let's keep it base, right? But like, if I'm a Filipino martial artist and somebody questions a technique that I show, it's actually it feels like an attack on my character because I've associated the thing I do with who I am, right? If somebody says, "Hey, man, your podcast sucks," and all you had in your life was your podcast, or if somebody goes, "Hey, man, your audio could use a a bit of work," even something as simple as that, or is like, "Hey, I don't like your background." feels like an attack on your character and yourself. And this is a lot of the firearms world, you know, all a lot of the martial arts world, where if you question something, you're questioning somebody's integrity. You call me a liar, you know. You put 30 years into your martial arts and then someone says something about it and you've conflated the idea of between who you are in this martial art is and it hurts. It hurts a lot. Yeah. It hurts them a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and- 
and, and that's just all ego, right? Yeah. At the end of the day. It's ego. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like this misplaced value system, you know, and it, it's, it's, it's hard. Like it is hard. Cow- yeah. Like if you're a cowboy, you're a cowboy, you know, like maybe you also play violin. You know, there's certain, there's certain, and, and, and that's why the word racist is so powerful. No one wants to be called it. Right. And they're even willing to become racist to avoid being called a racist. The, yeah. the, we can see half this country would rather be racist than be called a racist. They're so scared of it. They would, they, the term, right? Because it's, because <clears throat> it would hurt. It's scary. Yeah. And <laughs> there's this uh, Jewish comedian who talks about like racist jokes, Ari Shafir. Yeah. Well, one of Joe Rogan's friends. Yeah. And he's just like, you know, he's offended. He's not offended by racist jokes. He's just offended by unoriginal racist jokes. So anyway, anyway, there's so much nuance, right? But like, yeah, I think I can go, I can go. Yeah. There's some racist jokes that are kind of funny. Yeah, for sure. A lot of them. (laughs) Right. Or sexist jokes. Right. Very funny genre too. I agree. I think like stand-up comedy, I do believe it should be a protected art form. There's yes. no, there's nothing out of bounds. And again, that's another one of those things where fuck, you can't say that, you know. Anyway, the world's weird, dude. Yeah, it it, it is weird. It's fun though. I I really like your attitude because that's what I think I'm doing that too. I think I sometimes I I bring up a lot of crazy stuff on here, and I and sometimes I when I'm alone, I'm like. Am I fueling the fire or am I helping people <laughs> pro- process? Because I, I don't want to fuel the fire. I, I like bringing up the, the subjects. But at the end of the day, it, none of it really matters to me. I just want to be outside picking barefoot with my kids in the garden, picking persimmons and eating them. That's so good. It's easier right? for me because I got the right skin color passport to tell all sorts of wacky stuff and I won't get attacked or canceled. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, hey. Uh, plus, I grew up in Toronto, you know, in a super multicultural environment. Have well, you ever it, testified in court? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Um, I've never testified. Um, you uh, haven't testified in court as an expert? I was thinking the other day, I go, I bet you this guy's testified in court as an expert. No, I have prob- I'd probably deny the you opportunity would. to do it. Yeah. Even though that's kind of like a, like a badge of honor for people who, who – you know, who teach edge weapons. Like I was, I was picturing you'd be in a case where it's like, Hey man, this guy hit him with a stick and he's a highly profane professional uh, with a, a stick. And then they bring and then he's like, no, I'm not. I've never picked up a stick. And then they show you the video and you're like, no, this did, I just made that story up in my head. Okay. Fine. Yeah. No, no, no. But people, people who get to do that, like to tell people they've done that. You, you brought up something very interesting. Uh, on one of the podcasts you were on about the second amendment. Uh, okay. and, and and I had never heard of it um, like this. You basically said that as okay. I'm paraphrasing that it, since we're human, we're inherently protectors. That's just part and parcel of who we are. We're just, it's in our DNA, whether we're protecting ourselves, our kids, our property, mm-hmm. but we're protectors. It's who we are. It's, and and it, it's, it's, um, you know, for yeah. lack of a better phrase, God made us as all protectors of some sort. Everyone has a little bit of protector in them. They're trying to protect their own life. And I thought, wow, I, I, I wonder if the people who wrote the Second Amendment realized that it goes that deep. So I'm a Canadian, right? And, yeah. and to have an opinion about the Second Amendment, like when, whenever my like Canadian friends talk about 
American gun laws. I just tell them, yo, just shut the fuck up, man. Like you have no idea. You live in, you know, you live in Markham, you live in Toronto. You have no idea, right? Um, so shut up about the Second Amendment. And so I, I, I take that advice, right? But you know, I'm, I'm a secret supporter. Um, but foundationally, and this is where I kind of found my my core belief system as far as wanting to support second amendment supporters is that it is a biological imperative to self preserve. And so roses have thorns because of the kind of predators in their environment. So the tools for protection ought to be relative to the threat level. Um, so whether that's camouflage, thorns, guns, knives, dogs, yeah, fangs, claws, right? You can't strip human beings from this. We can say God-given right, but it's a natural law. It's a natural right to have defense mechanisms against threats relative to the environment. And if your environment has guns, stripping citizens of their right to own guns is inhumane. So, and that goes across the board. Do you think, do you think that things played out in the last two years differently in the United States because we had gun rights as opposed to what we saw happen more in, I feel like what we saw happen in Canada or in um, Australia? I don't know. I don't know. And can I ask you to be more specific? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so in Idaho, they didn't do any COVID games. Okay. Zero. I think that was the only state. They, they didn't do any COVID games. They, yeah. they didn't do the mask mandates. They didn't do shit, right? Wow. It, um, in China, they fucking, according to what I saw, they fucking welded door shuts on people's apartment building complexes. Yeah. And so here you have a society that's completely disarmed. I'm giving the two ends of the spectrum uh, where it, it, you you have no ability to, to fight back, right? Yeah. Whereas in Idaho, I'm, I don't know what it is. Maybe Caleb can look it up. But I'm guessing the average person there owns six guns. And then there's these nuances, you know, uh, of, you know, Canada, Australia, you know, what we saw going on in Europe where the right. citizens were just um, they the one of the correlates is that the fact that all the government in those places owns all the guns. Well, I guess not in Canada. But 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 the, but the government does pay because it's closer to socialism there than it is, I think, in the United States. People are more uh, susceptible to saying, yes, dad. Yes, dad. You know. And, and so that, I, I always I was I've been wondering that a lot about, hey, I wonder if that's because we have fucking, I don't know what it is, 8 million guns. And uh, like I, I heard, I don't know if this is true, but I heard that when the during World War II, when the Japanese were thinking about invading the United States, what stopped them was the fact that uh, the citizenry here was armed. In Idaho, an estimated 137,000 guns were sold from January through July of 2022. <laughs> Damn. Uh, that's just in uh, that's just in six months or something. A uh, seventy-eight point six firearm sales for every thousand people. That's just in those six months. I'm gonna have to guess everyone there. There's more guns there than people. That's pretty. Uh, it's probably like three guys with a bunker. 
Right, right. <laughs> Patting the average. And, and, um, so, and so that's what I meant. Like, is that, do you think that, that, that there is a, uh, that it, it's basically like a scale? Do you think that it, 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 or no? Um, no, I think there's some um, correlation between like gun ownership and vaccine resistance, maybe. Sure, um, for sure there. Right. And right. so, but this, I mean, it's ca- uh, causation. Um, can you guys look up like what's the vaccination rate for the United States? Like what percentage? Because in Canada it's ridiculous, like 98 or something, 96 or some, something crazy like that. Well, Paul, do you want to know one shot, two shot, three shot, four shot, five shot? <laughs> I hey, know. I like, did, what is fully vaccinated? Oh, God. Are we talking about COVID and vaccines? I did see something about Los Angeles where they're really concerned because only 7% of the people yeah. have the fifth booster or some shit. Okay. At least 262 million people or 79% of the population. No oh, shit. See that? Okay. Right? Right, dude. So I don't know if it has anything to do with. Oh my god! I wonder if those. I wonder if those people are scared now. Oh, it was scary. I mean, I think it was. I think it was scary even for the most logical, well-informed person. They have to admit to some, not you know, fearful, but concern. Because there's just so much evidence coming out now. Yeah, that uh, you probably made the wrong choice. Yeah, and I would be. I would be scared if, like, if I get if I let my kids get the vaccine, I'd be scared right now for them. So especially if they were in sports. Yeah. Yeah. Now my kids aren't, but I am. Well, it's useless now. <laughs> it's how did you, how did you make it so your kids weren't? I just did. I mean, that's gotta be there's are, a lot of, there's a lot of pressure, bro. And, oh, and I'm, I mean, yeah, my kids can't go to school. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, it was rough, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, family, parents, school boards, yeah, every, you and your everyone. wife were on the same page. Uh, yeah, I was. I was sort of the lead, uh, the lead Google researcher at the time. I did my research. No, but you know, as much as much information as we can access, I think yeah, the term research is kind of. Allison, he's in. Uh, he's in. He's in. He's in Toronto. Um. Yeah. So, so you and your wife were on the same page because that yeah. could fuck a marriage up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they don't have states in um in uh Canada. provinces. No. I mean Ontario. <laughs> I know. I'm just fucking with her. <laughs> She's probably like ten. People jump in the chat and they can be like you know ten or twenty. You know, like an hour behind or thirty oh, minutes okay. behind. So she maybe yeah. didn't even hear. Yeah. No, I, I don't I, ask. I, Every everyone's welcome on everyone's welcome on the show. Vaccinated, unvaccinated, I, uh, heathens, Satan's welcome on the show. God's everyone's welcome on the show. I want to hear everyone's yeah. uh, perspective. But I was one of those dudes. I got vaccinated. I got I got my two shots because otherwise I couldn't travel to the United States. I couldn't make videos. So it was one of those. I kind of felt defeated. I kind of felt like, oh, all right, well, tis the game. Did you did you think about maybe asking the doctor if he would shoot it on the floor? No, I know some people who did though. It was yeah, just, yeah, I yeah, and I was the first in my family to do it. Yeah, that shit tears so many people. I, I mean, I'm I'm in the hive, and I I can only imagine what the vaccination rate is in my town. And uh, I guarantee you that, um, well, I know a bunch of people where it ripped their families apart. Yeah, my mom canceled Christmas parties this year, and all the little kids and cousins were all very disappointed because oh, this year, this year, yeah, because somebody 
was exposed to uh, it was a close contact to a known COVID. My mom's very fearful. She's very scared, bro. She's she's all CNN like that'll do it to you. She just bought it. And she's very very scared. It's unfortunate, and it's it's almost to the point where I have family like that. Yeah, I'm. I'm you can't have a discussion. Logic won't win here. And so you might as well keep the peace with moms, you know? Yes, I agree. I yeah. totally agree. Yeah. Keep the peace with your family if you can. Yeah. Yeah. It ripped a lot of people apart for sure. Um, Corey Leonard, I have plenty in my cabinet at home enough to vaccinate everyone in this chat. Very generous of you, Corey. I think we're talking about bourbon. Oh, bur- oh. <laughs> okay. Um, Bye, guys. On a on a, on, a, on a, just completely leaving the world of things like that, when um, I get I guess there's I, I, I guess the protocol um, um, if there's dangers to all is de-escalation always the first if there's a checklist of things when there's problems um, always like run or de-escalate uh, vacate and de-escalate. Uh, yeah, like you're yeah, at the roller well, rink and a fight breaks out. I mean, I know it's a sure. Big... Yeah, avoidance not being there, blah blah blah. But yeah, de-escalation for sure. And, and then yet there's jobs where you can't do that, right? I mean, the, like if me and you are in the roller rink and a fight breaks out and we have our family by the door, we can just walk outside and get in our car and drive away. But if you're a cop, then there's professions where you have to escalate. You you have to escalate, right? Yeah, this is a. This is really interesting. Um, first, uh, there's a law enforcement dude who, who got this into my head. His name is Chad Lyman. He runs police jujitsu. You you ought to get him on your podcast. He's Tell me, what's his name? Chad Lyman. I have no idea how any cop doesn't take jujitsu. I have no well, idea. How could you be a cop and not be a fucking gray or whatever? Uh, try yeah. to get, try to at least get your, uh, what is it for adults? Blue belt? At least get your blue belt. Just honestly, three months in a solid jujitsu academy, you'll you can probably handle yourself against ninety percent of the population. So much of jujitsu is like understanding that sometimes our natural intuition gets us into trouble, you know. But um, <clears throat> damn it, I lost my train of thought. Oh, uh, this guy, oh. Chad, Chad, oh, yeah, Chad, Chad, Chad Lyman, yeah, and about de-escalation. A lot of people confuse de-escalation as only being a verbal thing. Force is a form of de-escalation. And he, he often says that um, inefficient use of force looks like excessive use of force. So when a cop doesn't know how to use a baton properly, he's inefficient with it. It can look like excessive use of force. If he doesn't know how to you know, detain you know, a resistive subject, he's going to want to punch the shit out of that dude or shoot him. So inefficient use of force looks like excessive use of force. And jujitsu for cops ought to be mandated, in in my opinion. Mandated. And he runs. Yeah, the thing, man, like I've I've run or I've organized so many different seminars or co-organized. And we're like, hey, if you're a law enforcement dude in the area, right you're a veteran you, you can come for free no cops show up and if any cops show up it's a guy that doesn't need that training because he trains all the time anyway right cops don't show up and and the cops who do show up sometimes they're vilified 
as somebody who's learning how to kill better, it's like we're kind of villainizing somebody who's spending their own money to upscale their training so that they can better do their jobs. And so it should be mandated or at least there should be, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to provide sort of like these like surface level solutions without a, without a plan. But if, if cops who trained in jujitsu or went to the gym to work on their grip strength, they should be, um, compensated for that by the you, department you proposed it like this which was amazing to me I, I i had never thought of it like this but and i'm paraphrasing but basically you have a cop out there and if he's got this tool belt on and it has uh, a gun and a taser on it those are the only tools he has and so yeah. if he gets in danger those are going to in, in the checklist of tools he has to address the danger he's going to go for one of those but if yeah. you teach them jujitsu yeah or footwork all of a sudden they have another tool that's less deadly that they can use uh, with the, with the danger. And then everyone is safer. The public doesn't have to worry about a gun being out. Yeah. Um, the, the, and I was like, Holy shit. I never even thought of it like that. You want to give them tools that allow them to mitigate their use of deadly force. force. Yeah. Yeah. Use of force is, is not like black and white, but if they're undertrained, it, it's going to be, uh, what's that saying? You know, if all you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that's what's up, man. And and again, a lot of a lot of police departments are reactionary. Like it, it would take a tragedy, you know, a cop getting killed or or a civilian getting killed to go. We need to, and you know, put some changes in. And it's like, man, we couldn't have been proactive about this. But that that's how it works, right? Like. Budget allocation is, uh, it's crazy. It's crazy, man. But yeah, every cop should be mandated to have at least, you know, some training in jujitsu or, or I don't know. Um, they're touching hands all the time, so they, they should know how to navigate that. When 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 you do uh, mushrooms or any psychedelics, do you ever get? Um, concerned that in that window of 24 or 48 hours that your kids might need you and that um, you wouldn't be able to like be prepared to help them like it's no. something as simple as they break their arm and you have to dr drive them to the hospital or something yeah no i'm i'm i don't do it recreationally i make time for it and i okay and i, and I prepare for it so yeah so that's something you have to but to set your mind free from that th that has to be set with your wife or oh. something yeah, yeah. That has, that issue has to be contained. You have to be one hundred percent certain yeah. that they're safe. Yeah, and I and I don't do it all the time. Like I've had maybe, if I can count, three heroic journeys where I'm I'm unfit to defend myself if I had to. So yeah, no, it's not uh, it's not something I do recreationally. But I do yeah. train drunk a lot. You do. Yeah. Just, just because that could be because Purposeful. you drink too much, or because that no, no, could no. Be, that could be uh, by the way, I should, I should, I should say a lot, but I think. Um, but it's one it, of the things you test. Hey, here's here's one yeah. shot of whiskey. This is what it's like. Here's yeah. two shots. Yeah, yeah, because I do enjoy drinking in social environments. So yeah, I've. I think it's important. Like if you drink, you should know where you're. Um, capabilities degrade and if you film it then it's irrefutable proof that 
bro, you sucked. Like, <laughs> can't have that many. And, you know, I, I thought I did well. What's what's your um? What, what's what projects are you working on? What what's your future look like? If you're are are you done taking your break in the tactical space? Are you, are you going back to it? Are you um? What what are your plans for the next year? Do you have a plan? Yeah, I've I've sort of transitioned from you know the whole YouTube stuff to creating online tutorial content. So it's it falls in line with content creation. It falls in line with me finding subject matter experts that I like and want to work with, and I want to present their material in a way that's authentic to who they are. Um, even though it's super saturated, like everybody's got a friggin' you know tutorial how to get out of a headlock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I like to think that I infuse a bit of my, um, my storytelling and creativity, even in the most mundane kind of basic stuff. It was one of the things I did early that I think allowed me to stand out when a holster company wanted me to make a, a video promotion for their holster. It was about how the instructor used it and what it meant to them. Even though the tutorial may just be a simple draw stroke and presentation, there's always like a, a layer of who the presenter is in connection to what they're actually presenting beyond just, you know, kind of a product placement. But that's what I'm doing, dude. I'm making online tutorial courses for super dope instructors and typically people who don't feel comfortable doing social media. People who are like, fuck that. I don't want to do that. Oh, for their site, not for your site. No, no, for for other people. Wow, that's what I've been doing. I'm kind of like a monument builder in that in that regard. That's brave to do that, especially since you have that amazing YouTube channel with so many subscribers, and you could probably just kick your boots up and just keep pumping that thing, and spending time with your kids. You, you're pushing yeah. forward. I get bored, man. I need to be challenged, dude. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on, man. Great, Paul. Great to meet you. Uh, I will. I'm for sure going to reach out to uh, Chad and uh, from Police BJJ, and I'm gonna, and I'm going to check out that book, uh, Predictability. Uh, and uh, yeah, predictability. Arley, Dan, Dan, Dan Arley. Yeah, be irrational. You're gonna love it, man. It's gonna it's gonna explain a whole lot of things. Uh, thank you. Almost two hours of your time. You demand. I, 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 I haven't interviewed anyone like you uh, and uh, who's, you know, such a Renaissance man in this world. And uh, I, I really appreciate your insights and everything you shared. It's great. It adds great value to the show. Thank you so much. Like I knew nothing about you guys. I kind of just jumped in, but it was a, uh, it was a pleasure. No, <laughs> you humans exist, man. I'm going to do a little bit of digging and see what podcast I've gotten myself into, but it was a pleasure. It was really awesome, cool brother. talking and thank yeah. you. Like all, look at all these comments. Sorry. I uh, wasn't able to like really address them, but thanks to your community, man. It seems like you've got, you've, you're kind of building something. Uh, it's a great crew. We come on every morning, 7am. It's like, really? we bring, yeah, we bring on, uh, we go live every morning. You know, we've had, we've had everyone on from like, you, we had Patrick, but David on, we had, uh, uh, Kayla Harrison on, you know, Volkanovsky's been on the show. So I dabble over there. Lots of CrossFit athletes, people who've cured themselves of cancer. I, I just wow. basically go anywhere, but I saw you on Instagram and I saw that thing with your daughter. Yeah. And, uh, I spend all my time that I'm not podcasting. I spend every second with my kids. And so I, uh, I saw that and I'm like, man, I got to meet this dude. That is so cool, man. Right yeah. on. Yeah. I like what you're doing, man. That's what a blessed existence to get to be able to do that. It is. It is. Yeah. 
Thank you. If you're ever in the Santa Cruz area, um, you have my number. I'd love to uh, uh, hang out. And um, yeah. I don't know about the fighting part, but I like to do the getting drunk part. Let's do knife play. Yeah, the whole. Knife oh, that would is, be great. That would be a great art. video. These guys would love to see me do some knife play. Okay. Yeah, yeah. If you're in California, please hit me up. All right, brother. Thank you, Sevenistas. Yep. Cheers. <laughs> cool. All right, peace, guys. Thank you very much. Later, yeah. brother. Got that that uh, Calderon vibe, right? Definitely. Seen so much, met so many people. Yeah, drunk knife fight. I want to go to Santa Cruz to just to see if someone would answer when I hit him up. I, I, I'm I'm fifty fifty when people come to town. Leave you on red. Well, yeah, I, I, I it's not that I um, it's not that I. It's usually just a timing thing. Like I would, I like meeting people. This guy has a crazy Instagram account. It's really yeah, good. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> He's like an original YouTuber. Yeah. Like as, like as OG as they get. He probably He's hates like, that term like I hate it. <laughs> probably. It's probably why he's not doing it anymore. It took me probably two hours yesterday to get through his uh, Instagram, and I was moving fast. He's got so much in there. Like So I, much. I, usually I can get to the bottom of somebody's Instagram by the end of the show. And I could not. He 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 kind of reminds me in the in yeah, it took me a long time. He kind of reminds me of um uh this isn't gonna come out right. This isn't gonna come out right. But basically there's people in our space like the Buttery Bros or Craig Ritchie who they not only they not only follow the scene, right? But they're but they're like you see them participate in it, yeah. and that's what this guy's done. He's like really, really um, immersed in himself it. in it. Yeah, immersed himself in, in in what they call. There was a term that they kept using: the protector class or the protector group. I bet you his wife's cool as shit. Gotta be dude, right, dude. Do you know how hard it would be if you lived in Canada to not get your kids the vaccine? That would be fucking hard. He's, he's like the anti-Canadian Canadian. Right. Which is crazy. I, um, I, I wanted to tell him this story last. So a uh, bunch of the kids in, in my uh, kids jujitsu class have gotten their gray belts, gray and white belts. There's three gray belts. It goes for, for kids. It goes white and then uh, gray and white and then gray and then gray and black. And my kids had their white belt. And when they finished and got all, not Avi, but the other two, my two youngest ones, the six-year-olds, when they got uh, the four stripes on their white belt, they were supposed to go to gray and white, and they didn't. They Instead, they made a new belt for them that no one else in the class had, and it was a white and bl- white belt with a black stripe. I, the instructor just didn't think that they were ready for their gray and white. So now they're six, and um, they can beat all the gray and white belts in the class. but they still have their white belts and, and uh, the instructors have explained to me what's going on and it's totally fine. Um, And and every, every, everyone knows the instructors are so complimentary to them. They always say, Hey, why are the youngest kids have the best technique? Why are the youngest, like they, they lay it on the big kids. They're like, why, how are these two the most focused, the the beating you guys like, Hey, come on guys. Everyone needs to step up their game. Why do you guys suck so bad? Yeah, it's pretty cool, but it's cool. They, they do it in a loving way. It's cool. And my kids know that, 
they can't, they've come home the last three days from jujitsu and they're like, we don't understand. So I pulled up this video of Nikki Rod at ADCC, not this last one, but the one before where he goes up against Orlando uh, Sanchez. Mm-hmm. And I go, this is Nikki Rod. He's a blue belt. And this is Orlando Sanchez and he's a black belt. So last night before they went to bed, they watched that, uh, that match. They're like, that guy's only a blue belt and he beat a black belt. I'm like, yeah. So it was cool. It put it's it in perspective. Of yeah. Like, 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 Hey, just chill. It's it's all the belt doesn't really mean anything. It's what you do in the classes or in your, in your competitions. It's all going to happen. And the instructors told me they're like, Hey dude, what we really want to do is the next tournament they go to when they're on the podium, we want to give them their gray belt. And I, I like that because that will then encourage them to do more tournaments. They'll see like a, a connection between them mm-hmm. and they'll see it as a good thing. Uh, Jethro. Hi, Sevy. Hi, Caleb. Can it be Caleb too? Hi, Sevy and Caleb. Uh, wow. Sorry. I'm super late. Just finished coaching and cleaning the gym. Good, good on you. Uh, yeah. How do they send their kids to school without it? Great question. Great question. Okay. Um, tomorrow. Oh, I scheduled a live call-in show for tomorrow morning, Caleb. So tomorrow, what's tomorrow? Friday? Yes. No, tomorrow's Saturday. Already. I sent. A- Say that again. New Year's Eve. Oh, yeah. No shit. Maybe I'll do a show tomorrow night, too. New Year's Eve show tomorrow night. Two shows tomorrow. Uh, thank you, Jessica. Um, I sent out um, invites to 25 uh, athletes. Matt, Susan, I sent out invites to 25 athletes. If the athletes have never been on, because we're prepping for Wadapalooza, if the athletes have never been on the show before, we'll probably match them up with, or they'll get their, sorry, take two. If the athletes have never been on the show before, they'll get their own hour and a half with Caleb and I. So we might, we're going to have Anol Akai on, uh, hopefully, and he'll get his own hour and a half. The other athletes, we're going to, you know, try to split the shows up. Um, although it does look like Rich responded and said he's going to try to come on before Wadapalooza. And, mm-hmm. uh, and he deserves his own hour and a half always, right? Yeah. Always. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also want to say thank you to uh, Laura, uh, Lauren Connor. Uh, she was a guest on the show, and she keeps sending me um, thumbnails, and she really wants to participate in the show. And I cannot tell you uh, how much that helps. I cannot tell you how much that helps. We could use all the help uh, we can get. And so, um, Lauren, thank you. Uh, if, if anyone does send me that stuff and it takes me a while to return, I, I, I return – I try, if, if you send me something, I will respond. I, uh, unless like one in a hundred, I won't respond. Even at least I'll double heart it to let you know I read it. And so, uh, but please be like, um, don't send me just 20 links to Instagram shit. Like 30 minute um, videos. Yeah, I can't, I can't. Um, are, are, are you send me screenshots of something really small that's in the Lancet and it's like five pages long and you know it's like four like then I need a synopsis. Um, it's got to be a short one, can't be. Like- <laughs> but uh, but we do need help with our Instagram. Uh, our Instagram has gone um, silent and we do need help with thumbnails and, and just we just need help. That's it. We just need help. Anyone who wants to participate, um, you, you could come get some. 
Okay, yeah. Thank you, Kenneth. Hey, I appreciate you too, brother. Okay, um, we'll see you guys tomorrow, and maybe we on uh, New Year's Eve, as uh, Caleb is claiming it is, and then hopefully tomorrow night, maybe we'll do two shows. That was fun doing that on uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas, doing double shows. Let me help, please, Allison. Please, please, please. Okay, guys. I oh, Allison. I, I don't. I sent you a text last night. Um, we're, we're going roller skating at uh, one o'clock at a Seabright Roller Rink. Um, Want to go to kids and eat first or eat after or anything? Let me know. We got we we got nothing going on and it's raining. All right, guys. I will um, see you guys tomorrow. Caleb, you demand. Bye-bye.